Hello and welcome to the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast shares these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy today's episode. Uh, my name is Rich Schmidt. We're here with Edwin Martinez. It's August 24th, 2022. We're at Mitchell Wine Group in Portland. Edwin, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, and the first question to get you started is why wine? Why wine? Uh, wine, uh, I fell into. It wasn't a set path for me. I was a teacher uh, and a coach at Western Oregon University. And uh, I had one of my kids, a defensive end, was always working, he had a cell phone. And I was just like, you know, Lance, what, what is it that you're doing? Because you have to think that was 1998, 1999, or, you know, maybe 2000, and people didn't really have cell phones. And so it kind of stood out to me, we'd be going to a game and he'd be answering his phone and calling people. And I just sat down on the bus next to him one day and said, what are you doing? We're getting ready to play a football game. He's like, oh, I'm working. I'm selling wine. I'm like, okay, well, put the phone away and let's, we'll talk about this later. And uh, I went and talked to him later. He's like, yeah, I, I go. I sell wine for a, a winery called Willamette Valley Vineyards. And um, I go and I go to stores and restaurants and I sell wine. Uh, why, don't you, why don't you come by my house? I'll show, you, I'll show you the wine. I'm like, okay. I go to his house and like any college house, I mean, at least in, my experience, you've got way too many guys or girls living in too small of a space and he's living in the garage, right? And he has taken racking and racked the whole outside of the garage, his beds in the middle, and he's got thousands or tens of thousands of dollars worth of wine in a college house. And I was just, from then I was just fascinated. Uh, and then he said, well, you know, do you want to go out and see what I do? And I went out and I worked with him and we went around and we sold wine and, uh, you know, fast forward a few months and he gets an opportunity to go play arena league football. And of course I'm just kind of intrigued by, you know, this business that he has, uh, kind of created and he needs someone to cover his route while he goes and tries out for arena league football. And he says, hey coach, would you mind covering my route? So when I come back, I can come back to my job. I said, sure, because we're going into summer, you know, spring ball, everything's over. I have this space of time when you teach that you can, you know, for the lack of a better words, double dip a little and and work. I did it and it was, I, I loved it. And what really hooked me though is I'd never made that much money before. And so that, from then on, I, I it not only kind of fell in love with the product, but I also fell in love with the process. And uh, he came back, he got his job uh, back. I got ready to go back to school, um, you know, get my couple of my classes and uh, my assignment for football. And all of a sudden I get a ring from Willamette Valley Vineyards. Hey, would you mind come uh, and interview for a job selling wine for us in, in in Beaverton. I'm like, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll come interview. Go, I interview, they offer me the job. I saw how much money I made. I go back to the school. I say, hey, I'd really like to stay teaching and coaching because this is what I'm, this is what I want to do. I need to make X amount of dollars. And they're like, well, sorry, Edmund, we can't do that for you. And that's how I got into my business. It's amazing. All right, so we're going to come back to that in a second, but let's talk about kind of life before that. Uh, tell me about how you ended up coaching and teaching at Western. You know, coaches and teachers were always mentors to me uh, growing up, and so that's what uh, I went to school for. Um, I wanted to play football. I enjoyed uh, sports, and so I wanted. Uh, I was able to play at Western Oregon because uh, they would uh, accept me onto the team. You know, I wasn't a D1 athlete being recruited out of high school with lots of scholarships. So uh, that's where I ended up, and it was a teaching liberal arts college. Uh, and so I did my undergraduate um, uh, to get my uh, degree in teaching uh, education with a minor in health ed. And when I got done playing and uh, got done with my uh, undergraduate, 
I was offered a position as a graduate assistant to uh, that they would put me through a master's program if I would work in uh, on the football team. Mm -hmm. And so, well, there was a little bit of time in between. I left school because I thought, oh, I'm done with school. I'm going to go out and get a job. I went out and got a job and I was like, I don't like working. <laughs> I mean, really, I, I was like, I, I sold cars and uh, I just was like, is this really what I set out to do? Uh, and I was like, no, I want to I want to be a teacher. And so that's how I kind of figured out. I went back to the university and that's when I was got presented that opportunity. Um, I did that for I don't know, a year and a half and then I was hired by the university because it took a year and a half to get my graduate degree. Mm -hmm. And I really like enjoyed um, the graduate part of education. The undergraduate part was more of a it was more of a, a, a vehicle to get to be a kid and have the college experience. Um, and so that kind of set me into more of a professional, you know, uh, mindset of, uh, you know, being excellent at something was kind of that that postgraduate education because I really got the focus on what I was interested in mm -hmm. and that's what kind of led me to uh, you know a strange path but to being in the wine business and before coming to Western uh, tell me about growing up I uh, grew up in McMinnville Oregon which for all intents and purposes makes me a little bit of a unicorn in the Oregon wine business uh, a lot of people that are in the Oregon wine business are not from here, um, and, and especially not from McMinnville, like the kind of the hub, like McMinnville, Dundee, wine country area. And so people are always very surprised that I'm from there. Um, but again, McMinnville, when I was growing up, was a rural community. It was based in agriculture, um, and we had a steel mill. I mean, those were the two... Um, it, or, or in the, you know, uh, municipalities, right? So if you were going to stay in McMinnville, you know, agriculture, municipalities, or you're going to go to work for the steel mill, um, or you're going to travel up to Portland. Um, and that was really the majority of the opportunity there. And so that's, uh, you know, that was, that was my, my childhood was just very like Americana, you know, it's just parents and sports and, and uh, working, doing, you know, odd jobs here and there when I got the opportunity. So tell me about uh, coming, you mentioned kind of coming back into the, into the school and, and doing master's, master's program coaching. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your experiences in, in coaching and teaching. What did you uh, enjoy about that time of your life? I mean, it was, it was kind of doing what I was drawn to, right? Giving back what I was given and seeing the change in, in people and building teams and seeing that you can go from here to here with a, with a plan, right? There, it's a, it, there's a process to it. And that is what I really enjoyed about it. Seeing that change from, um, you know, Hey, we may not be so good today, but if we do all this stuff, then we can get to being great. And that, to me, was the the attraction mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. you, know, you can really change perception in individuals through teaching and coaching, and it, it really does uh, dovetail into the business world too. It's really no different. It, there's just there might be just different steps in the journey. People learn in in many different ways. So you, I like that part of it too. You know, every single person has a different way of, of absorbing information um, and then being able to output it. And that to me is, was always really uh, fascinating. It's actually what I did my thesis on was multi-level learning in the classroom where you, you have curriculum and the teacher teaches the same thing to 35 kids and you have this demographic of people that get it right it's kind of for them you have another part that gets left behind and then you also have the advanced learners that they're kind of just being stagnated where they can actually perform above and beyond what the expectations are so why have just you know teachers need to have the ability to evaluate their classroom and uh, teach to the individual but get the same content across to everybody. Are there moments, games, 
people from that uh, that time that you're particularly proud of or think back fondly on? Oh man, um, yeah. I just I just think all of the the people that mentored and coached me, um, they all gave me uh, bits and pieces of of who they are. Um, it's I, I don't think I can just make one or two people out. I don't think that that would be fair because. You know, even the people that don't provide you with positive influence, uh, they provided you with maybe what not to do. So you, you mentioned you, you, you're, in, you're intrigued by wine and, and you have this kind of trial run where you have your, you have your own route for a little while and then you're, you're brought back into the fold uh, full time. So tell me about that point in your life, uh, leaving teaching, coaching for at least for the moment, going into wine. Uh, what was your kind of what were you kind of thinking at that point, and what was your initial impression as you started to learn the job and learn the industry? It was a, it was hard to leave coaching and teaching, uh, but the money part is really what just kind of sealed the deal. Also, at the time, my my my, my then my now wife uh, at the time she was my girlfriend was like, you know, how long are you going to do this teaching and coaching thing? You know, because she saw that the path was you had to move. And, and, and to advance your career. And that just was not in the cards for us. Um, it really wasn't in the cards for me either. I'm, I'm not someone who likes to move around. Uh, and so it, I was able to rationalize that um, between making uh, a better living and maybe a better uh, kind of uh, quality of life as I proceeded in my career. Um, but I never looked back. I, I got into the this, the, the wine business and I immediately fell in love with wine and all of the different kinds of wine. It wasn't just Oregon wine. I mean, Oregon wine was the first thing that I was uh, introduced to and I feel fortunate to have been at a winery first so I could see how the wine is made. I can see how the fruit is grown. Um, I can see how the wine was sold. I could see it for direct to consumer. I could see it to um, wholesale and even international sales and all the different channels, right? Because the winery has to do all of those things, right? So from inception to conception, I got to experience that. And it was really the wine that captured me uh, The in, in food, like wine with food. I just think it's one of the great pleasures in life. I just dove into the education of um, how wine was made and uh, how it tasted and the quality of it and how to discern all of that because you know when I was growing up wine was just a it was just a celebratory beverage I had one side of the family that it was a celebratory beverage and then one side of the family that it was taboo so it just depended on whose house we were having the party at or whether or not there was wine so to me wine was not it was, was it taboo? Was it celebratory? You know, I don't know. And as I got into the wine business, I understood it's not just a celebratory beverage. It's not taboo. It's actually one of the great pleasures in life. And then once I went on that journey and I traveled quite a bit uh, through uh, distribution because it, that allows you to do that. People want you to go and see the places in Italy, France and Spain. Then I started my, my interest started to change more towards the business and of things and uh, that is still I'm still on that journey like I feel like I'm in the beginning of that journey on understanding the business side of, of wine I think that if you are going to do one or the other you kind of got to specialize in one or the other because the depth of knowledge to really be an expert in wine and the depth of knowledge that be the expert in business they're two different they're two different paths um, and I've just found myself going more towards uh, the business end of it. And it's interesting, if you don't flex one of those muscles, one atrophies. So I feel like I almost know less about wine today than I did you know, seven or eight years ago, or even the year before, because mm -hmm. uh, it's not a muscle that I flex as often as I used to. Tell me about your process of learning wine, both uh, of the wines of the world and, and of all the kind of the terminology uh, regions, varietals, things you had to know to, to converse with people about wine. I mean, I had to learn how to pronounce, how to say it all. That I, I would have to say that that was probably and still is one of the most challenging um, 
pieces about uh, knowing wine is just how to pronounce it. Is it really important that you pronounce it correctly? I mean, yes and no. Um, I think it's just mostly important that you know what you like mm -hmm. about wine, um, you know, whether it's from Oregon or France or Italy, and be able to, uh, you know, educate people on that if you're on our side of the business. Mm -hmm. How do you how do you communicate to all different kinds of wine buyers? And so that was the journey you go on, right? So some people it's important that you know how to explain how to say the wine, and some people it's really important to know everything about the producer. Some people it's just really important that you're educating on them what their consumer wants, mm -hmm. you know. And if you can kind of do all of that, that's kind of that journey on 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 the wine side. On the business side, it's. It's, I would say it's a little bit more science as where the, 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 the wine part is a little bit more art. Um, and on the business side, there's just a lot of process to things. And I'm, I'm one that finds comfort in process. And so it's really a, more of a traditional learning environment. You know, you've got to read and you have to spend time with people who know a lot more than you. And then you have to try to do it and you have to fail. And sometimes you fail more than you succeed. And that's what I'm, I'm kind of finding on the business end versus the learning path on the wine end is where it's more art and science. Mm -hmm. So as you're learning this in the early days, especially learning wine, and what did you learn about selling wine? Is there something? Is there anything unique about wine as, a, as something to sell versus something else you might sell? And what did you find were kind of successful strategies as you were getting going? I like that question. You know, I sold from a young age. I sold. But as a kid, I sold to the kids at school. I sold printers, copiers, fax machines. I sold cars. I've sold the university because I was part of the recruiting at the university during my time there. Um, and, uh, and now I sold grapes, uh, which is kind of what gets us here today. Um, and then I've sold wine. And the common theme, I think, between no matter what you're selling is that you're providing value to the people that you're selling to. And that, that, uh, that is almost, it, it, it's in, in step with, uh, do you have, do you, can you establish a relationship with them? And it's not, doesn't always have to be a friendship relationship, but you have to establish a relationship that, um, that is that works for both parties, and and if you can just do those couple of things, provide value and establish a relationship that both people value, then you are mutually benefiting each other because it's never it's never a one sided deal. So take us through kind of the path for you. You started back at uh, at Willamette Valley Vineyards. How long were you there, and what was the kind of the role you had there? Yep. So I started at Willamette Valley Vineyards as a drive sell. Uh, what that means is I didn't have delivery. I had my mom's minivan. It was a Nissan Quest <laughs> because that was the largest vehicle that I had in my atmosphere at the time. And I would uh, I would drive to the warehouse, get wine, drive to the uh, retailer or to whether it was a big box retailer like Fred Meyer or a small wine shop. I would walk in the front door. I'd show my wines. And I drive around the back and make the delivery, you know, write the, write the invoice and, and uh, make the delivery, um, make the deposit, turn in the deposit slip. That's how I started. Um, and then throughout my iteration there, I was there for, was there from 02 to 09 or 010. It's a little fuzzy somewhere around in there. I had a couple of different jobs. Uh, I finally got delivery. So then I was just a salesperson. Um, and then I had some brand management responsibilities after a while. Uh, and then I had general management responsibilities towards the end. Um, and so I kind of did uh, the gambit of the jobs while I was there. Tell me about the progression for you. Uh, did, when you made those kinds of moves, did you feel ready? Did you feel comfortable? Were you excited to take the next step forward? Yes. I, I, I would say that I'm a calculated risk taker. And I'm always uh, looking to see um, how can I improve? And so what is the next step? How, how do I get to the next step? And um, 
I think when I went from kind of sales brand management to general management, I was not ready. I was was not ready for the the people management side of, of things. It's a big leap going from managing um, a few people to managing multiple different um, um, personalities and uh, different units of the business, whether it's warehouse or whether it's purchasing or whether it's the sales team or it's the suppliers. Um, I was not ready for that, but I don't know who is, right? At, at some point you just have to, you have to go for it and make the mistakes and learn from those mistakes. Um, and I think even during that tenure at Willamette Valley Vineyards, I was even selling for Willamette Valley Vineyards um, at the national level. So I did some national level sales. And I, one of the things I guess I didn't go over is we also had a distribution arm because at the time Willamette Valley Vineyards was self-distributed winery. And to think that now, I mean, they make over 100,000 cases of wine. And I think at the time they were making a little bit less than 100,000 cases of wine, all self-distributed. That's, right? cra that's crazy. It was, it was awesome. <laughs> it was, it was, it was the, it was like, I call it the other Willamette University that's in Salem. <laughs> you just go there and, and you, you learn, you, you sink, you swim. And that's the, and that's the, that's the culture. And I, I couldn't have found a better place to, that fits my personality. And so I, I would, I would have to say that I give, I give Jim Bruno quite a bit of uh, credit for that. Um, and another guy uh, named Mike Kins, which I, I, you guys have probably interviewed him. Um, you know, he was our general manager at the time. Yeah, those were, those were kind of probably the two, the two people during that first part of my career that, that were, you know, allowed me to grow. Mm -hmm. A lot of places don't allow you to grow. And, and I will say, if you work in that environment, that's what they're allowing you to do. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of places kind of put you in a, a spot and that's what you do. Um, and it's really performance-based and, and how high can you go? You brought up a couple of times the importance or the importance of sort of making mistakes and learning from them. Are there, were there sort of notable mistakes for you or notable things for you that kind of you you learned from or, or change, kind of changed your path as you were going through them? Notable mistakes. Um, I would say that I tend to um, stick with things too long that aren't working. And that would, I, I've repeated that mistake. I'm still repeating that mistake. Because <laughs> uh, sometimes, man, they hit, right? Uh, one time we, we tried to distribute beer we were a wine distributor and that did not work. That was, that was a lesson learned. Um, hiring people and working with people, I've made a lot of, a lot of mistakes there with, with people management. Mm -hmm. And that has been, I think that that will be a, um, I think that that will be a lifelong, you know, uh, learning of success and failures. So after Wilmer Valley Vineyards, what, what came next? Uh, I went to work for Southern Wine and Spirits. Um, Southern Wine and Spirits is the almost the polar opposite of Willamette Valley Vineyards. Uh, it is the largest wholesaler of wine and spirits. It is a incredibly efficient machine. Um, there, everyone has a job, and there is a process, and that's how it's done. Southern Wine and Spirits had purchased a fine wine wholesaler in Washington and uh, called Cavatappi, mm -hmm. and they wanted to open up that same type of a fine wine distributor in the state of Oregon. And so I left Bacchus, Willamette Valley Vineyards, to, uh, to help start that at Southern Wine and Spirits. And I did that for three and a half years until 2014. Um, and yeah, that was the next step. That was the next step. And that's, that's where I, again, was, it was a massive learning experience, um, mostly in operations, mostly in operations on how to get wine from point A to point B. They're incredible at that. And uh, uh, that, was a, that was a massive education. What caused that to be the, the thing that took you away from, from Bacchus and, and what were the biggest sort of things you learned in that next step? Yeah, when I left Bacchus, 
we were in the process of shutting that business down because Willamette Valley Vineyards was going to go into distribution at the time. So we had grown it large enough um, in the state of Oregon where we could get regional distribution. And I saw that and I was part of helping, you know, kind of slow the business down, work on getting the inventory uh, under control and, uh, and uh, the Southern Wine and Spirits um, opportunity came available. And I saw that I could go to a leading distributor. Um, I could start something that was new and exciting and fine wine oriented, but also with the structure of Southern Wine and Spirits. It was something that we lacked at Willamette Valley Vineyards and Willamette Valley Vineyards made the same choice, right? They were lacking that you know, infrastructure to really be a viable distribution company. Um, and so I saw that opportunity not only to stay in fine wine, but also have the infrastructure and learn a part of the business that I didn't really understand. Mm -hmm. So what were the biggest things then that you took away from that time? That structure, uh, st structure breeds success. Um, I, that if you have rules and policy and procedure that aren't inhibiting, it actually breeds success. I also learned that if it is too rigid, that it inhibits certain strategies. So if you're trying to be a true fine wine distributor, if it is too rigid, you cannot provide the service that's needed for what the customer needs. But you cannot service volume and grocery and be loose. Those were the two things that I that I that I learned really quickly. So, what was your role within the organization? Um, to help build Cavatavi. So, if if you look at the larger companies, they have silos, right? So you'll have different divisions within the company because they're too large to have like one sales department. And so, it was myself and two other people were to build the portfolio, build the account base, and then go to market. That was, that, that was my role within the business, that, that business unit. Mm -hmm. Within that, I'm particularly curious about building a portfolio. You're, you're starting from scratch and you have obviously a great deal of means. So how do you go about building a portfolio from scratch? You uh, take the current relationships that you do have and so Willamette Valley Vineyards, Bacchus was kind of shutting that down. So there were a bunch of people who didn't have homes. Uh, they needed a home. So that was the, I would call that the base. Um, and then Southern also has wines within their current portfolio that need that uh, higher touch mm -hmm. um, from the sales and marketing side. And so we culled some of that from Southern Wine and Spirits and we called some that needed homes and that's how you that's how you build a portfolio it's not as easy as that right because there's uh, there's people behind these brands that need to feel comfortable with their distribution company and so there's a very uh, relationship heavy um, part to that mm -hmm. right so if you think if you're a distribution company and someone says oh hey uh, we're starting this new uh, silo and oh this is your new point of contact you know there's there's a little bit of either joy or hesitation mm -hmm. right and so you kind of work through that on the back end um, and that's how you do it it's 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 not much more complicated than that did you find at that time that you were were you seeking out as you're seeking out like newer clients or newer wine clients were you looking for wineries looking for looking for that or is it most of it coming to you drawn to you as, as for what you could offer them in the beginning it's uh, us going to them mm -hmm. and then once you build a um, reputation then that flips mm -hmm. then they start coming to you so what came next for you then after that uh 
I mentioned Mike Kins. Mike Kins was the general manager at Mitchell Wine Group. And he uh, decided to go from wholesale distribution and go to David Hill Winery out in Forest Grove. And he uh, recommended that I interview for the, his position. Uh, so he called me and asked if I would meet with David Brown, the owner. And I said, sure, I'll meet with David Brown, the owner. Uh, and I came and I met David and uh, I just was impressed by his vision. Um, it, so if you, if you think about the, my experience with Bacchus and building that company and being there from the beginning till the end, I did have some hesitation going to a smaller company. Mm-hmm. You know, Southern Wine and Spirits is a very good company. It's a very safe company uh, and uh, they're always going to be around. And, but that was part of what was making me look on the other side of the fence was, was I really going to build my, build my career um, and have a quality life work relationship at Southern Wine and Spirits? Most likely not. Um, I wasn't really going to really build something. I was maybe selling something for them. But really building something and, and having a building a team. And when I met David, I was like, well, you got to promise me a few things. Uh, you, you, you can't sell the company. Um, you can't shut the company down. And uh, you promised me those two things. If you're telling me what your vision is and that's what we're going to do, that is also my vision. Uh, and that's what brought me here. Uh, David has stayed true to that mm-hmm. and so now we're what are we now eight years later describe that sort of initial vision for us and what your role was going to be in it um, my initial role was to uh, uh, come in evaluate the situation um, and then make it David's recommendation to to get to the vision. Um, the vision is still what it is today, is to build the best fine wine wholesaler in the state of Oregon. We've expanded that a little bit to, we'd like to be uh, regional to the Northwest. Um, so aspirations have grown a little since then uh, and doing it a little differently uh, over over my experience uh, in the other two distribution models, I always was always torn between the distributor and the supplier relationship, that they were always at odds. You know, why is the distributor and the, the winery always kind of at odds? Um, we're really there had the same goal, right? To, to get the wine out to the people and make some money in the process. And uh, I wanted to fix that and, and by having a collaborative relationship so it's a little bit more of a sales and marketing um, relationship rather than just a fulfillment and distribution relationship and setting goals and reviewing them and you know knowing why things are working and why they're not working rather than you know hey we sell your wine and that's really that's what we do for you uh, that was that was our vision Another part of it was creating an experience. We don't just, we're not just a logistics company, right? I mean, distribution is a logistics company. It's a warehousing and logistics company. That's not what I wanted to do. That's not what David wanted to do. There's a whole world of wine, right? There's food, there's events, there's experiences. I personally believe, as does David, that wine makes people's lives better. Why can't we provide that experience? It just happens that we also have to get the wine there, right? Now, not everybody wants that experience, right? Some people just want the service, right? Good, consistent service. But some people also want that complete experience. And that's what keeps this fun. Uh, And the other thing was to have just the best portfolio, not just be the best distributor, but have the best portfolio to really curate wines that people want 
right? And not just have wines that are popular, right? Understand how to build a brand, understand how to elevate a brand that needs elevation through distribution and maintain that relationship, that balance between the supplier and the distributor. And that, that is the vision. So number, number of questions from that. I want to start by building a team. And you mentioned that was kind of, that's been part of your process and part of the kind of ongoing uh, evolution for yourself. Tell me about building a team here. With that, with that being your goal, what were you looking for as you started building a team? And what were the, the sort of the, the initial goals as you, as you were doing that? When I started building the team, it is you have certain functional areas that you have to fulfill, right? So building out the organizational chart of the company and saying, this is what we need. This is what we have. These are, these are, the, these, these are the people that we can elevate to the positions that we need and we need to hire for that. So that's, that's the beginning of the process. Um, and then after that, it's, it's the traditional, you know, start interviewing and, and talking to folks um, and recruiting people that you know fit your culture. Um, and for me, when you start building the team, it's all about the culture. Right. Yes, they need to have the skill set, but they also have to be willing to learn. They have to be willing to teach. They have to be willing to lead. They have to be willing to coach. They have to be willing to get their hands dirty. All the while, you got to have positive attitude. And when you're growing a business like we did with Mitchell, that's that is that is the main focus. What positions do we need and who fits that culture? And then over the years, it becomes just education, teaching, coaching, and you know, staying uh, aware of the positions that you need as the business grows because it, it rapidly changes. And to me, it's, it's, it's exciting, right? We've had multiple people come up through the business um, over the years and we bought, brought in a lot of really great people. And to watch them start to melt together as a team and not really need me is really the 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 is the reward, mm -hmm. right? That they're you're watching them accelerate, and to me that's like just that's the fun business side of building a team. You talked about building a more collaborative relationship with with the winery clients. Uh, Obviously, we've done a lot of these interviews. We've talked to a lot of people who've had a lot of grumblings about distribution and a lot, of, a lot of frustration. So, how do you approach a situation like that where you're you have clients who are kind of used to having an adversarial relationship, convincing them that you're different? You know, I don't I don't try to convince them. I agree with them. You know, I, I, distribution is an adversarial in most cases an adversarial relationship. You know, distributors are working on really thin margins and the, uh, the suppliers don't necessarily understand that. And I think making that transparent to the supplier and, and, and them understanding your business model is key. Mm -hmm. um, if you try to guard that stuff, it doesn't, it, it's not good for anybody. If you understand their business and they understand your business, it breaks down the barriers, right? And then, and then you're actionable on the things that you say that you're gonna do. One of the big complaints is, is distributors say they're going to do something and then they don't do it. So if you just say, if you do what you say you're going to do, that's a pretty good relationship, you know, and, and we, they're, they're around, right? There's no, they can come by, they can come by the warehouse, they can come by the office. Uh, they call me, I pick up the phone, the brand managers, the sales managers, the salespeople, uh, there's no barriers and a lot of distribution situations, um, they're not allowed to contact everybody. They're only allowed to contact one person and that's not the situation. Um, and so they quickly learn though, they contact the people that can help them, right? Like they'll call me and I'll be like, I, I don't know, but how are you doing? How's your business? How are we doing for you? Uh, it was just being, being very human about the, about the, the relationship. That's, that, that's how, I, that's how we do it. You mentioned uh, more of like a sales and marketing than pure, just pure logistics. So mm -hmm. tell me about getting to know the people you're selling wine for and, and how, how that, how you fit that role of sales and marketing. How do you understand the story and how do you sort of distribute the story? It starts kind of like what you're doing with me. We interview them. 
and we ask them what their what their goals are. Uh, what are your goals and how, where do you want your wine scene? All the way down to where they want their wines placed. Mm -hmm. And then we facilitate that. Uh, and if they if they if they need uh, you know counsel on you know our particular market because a lot of people come from out of market, we're very open about where their wines will fit. You know, some people think their wines will fit here, and we're like, you know, it'd be better if we went here with the wines. You know, if you're trying to sell California Pinot Noir, which some people are still trying to sell California Pinot Noir in Oregon, we're like, you know, maybe we should sell your Chardonnay. Or we could say, what if we sell twice as much of the Chardonnay and we just sold a little bit of the Pinot Noir? And, the, and that goes with every supplier, whether they're from France or Italy or Spain or Washington, um, really understanding where their wines fit mm -hmm. in our market and in what channel they fit. You know, because everyone isn't going to want to be in grocery. Everyone isn't going to be in restaurants. Everyone isn't just going to want to be in catering and clubs, right? They, they, what does their brand want to be and we facilitate that it's not what we want their brand to be and i think that that's where some distributors winery relationships don't meld right the, mm -hmm. the winery wants their the, it's the winery's brand not the distributor's brand you talked about the growth of the company as well so tell me about the sort of the big steps in the last eight years of, uh, in terms of growth are there benchmarks you've hit goals you've hit that were particularly momentous for you? I would say that having full state distribution was a, was a key um, benchmark for us. Uh, Oregon is a very difficult state to service because of its geography and the population between <laughs> each spot. And um, one of our missions was to be a full state distributor, which, which we are now. That was a benchmark. And we have revenue benchmarks. We've hit those. Um, the size of the business since 2008 um, has, we've grown 4X since then. That, that's been a big benchmark. Um, I would say though, uh, that yes, we do, we do use revenue as a success mark, but really it's, it, it, it's more like a scorecard. I wouldn't call it a success, um, like just a success benchmark. It's a short-term, um, uh, short-term marker. Uh, building out our management team has been a big benchmark, having the, enough brand managers to properly service the, uh, the people that we um, represent is a big benchmark. Having a sales, full-time sales manager and having a retail chain manager uh, and really building out the structure that would support a statewide distributor and really support the brands that we need uh, uh, to be a statewide distributor. Big benchmarks for us. So with all that said, obviously a lot of growth uh, the past couple of years. Tell me about how they've gone. How, how, how was 2020? Uh, what were the sort of adjustments you had to make uh, going through the year? And what are the biggest sort of changes sort of in the company now versus say pre-pandemic? That's like a vortex. <laughs> the last two years has gone by pretty quick. It was uh, something that none of us had faced. And um, we we, make, we made very quick, decisive decisions. Um, one of those was to maintain all of uh, everyone at the wine group, but we had to restructure um, because as you know, all the restaurants shut down. Uh, and so what we had to do is restructure the account base and to maintain the, our, our sales presence. Um, that, was, that was the biggest change. And we've been building back the infrastructure back to a traditional um, you know, sale, you know, distribution, sales, and marketing department. Since then, um, that it, it, the the business itself, fortunately for for alcohol, was good, right? Did did we did we create that? No, uh, people were at home, and 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 they drank, and so business was good, uh, and so you know, it's 
fortunate but unfortunate that the pandemic from a business standpoint presented challenges, but it also presented opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, so what do they say? Don't, don't waste a good crisis. Uh, and it was interesting, pre-pandemic, if you remember, there was a thing, the tariffs, mm -hmm. if you remember that? You know, that was, a, that, was, that was like the tariffs and the pandemic all, they just kind of was like this one big crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, and right now, it's just everything's uh, it, the biggest change is it's not a crisis anymore, you know. And so it's kind of we're getting back to business um, as usual. It's changed quite a bit. Um, it's challenge, really challenging for the restaurants, even still. Uh, and so that that that's been a that's been a big change within the industry is as how this, what the restaurant needs are. Mm -hmm. Groceries groceries still. Their needs are, are still the same. As a manager of people, tell me about dealing with, with 2020 specifically in 2021. How did you sort of handle the people working for you and, and as everybody's needs were sort of constantly changing? Well, anyone that didn't have to be at the office um, went home and they worked from home. Um, and then the people that needed to be in the office because we were essential, you know, people need their wine. Uh, stayed here, so uh, you know. I, we really tried to manage that in a way that it didn't feel like some people had to be in the office and some some people didn't. We really tried to educate on everyone. This is just keeping everybody safe. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, for the people that have to salespeople and the warehouse people and the delivery people. The wine has to. The wine still has to go out the door, and so for them, it was. It was. It was. It was nothing changed, right? You had all these people working from home, and uh, and there was just some of us that had to keep the keep the ship going, and um, and we weren't able to do you know the team building that we normally do, but I think we just upped our communication, um, you know, paid extra. Uh, that helped and uh, uh, yeah just listened to people and acted when uh, when they had needs and we were very very flexible during that time you brought up earlier that uh, one of the things you you now sell is grapes so so tell us about the acquisition of, of what is now three mile vineyard and uh, your role in it and and what sort of the that what that experience has been like so far it kind of takes us back to the David's vision um, was always to own property um, and have an agricultural portion because we have Mitchell Lewis and Staber, which is the pump business and the Mitchell Wine Group, which is wine distribution business. Uh, he wasn't necessarily looking just to plant vinifera. It could have been anything, you know, and, and even prior to us acquiring the land out in the Dalles, uh, there was always this undertone of looking for looking for something looking for something you know we were looking in the valley we were looking in the dalles um and uh david found the piece of property out in the dalles and if you saw it you'd see why he made the decision um it is a it is a it's a beautiful piece of of land um ideal to grow vinifera and so we acquired that Hundred and I think it was 110 acres, and uh, it, after he acquired the, the the property, he asked if I would uh, like to be the general manager of the vineyard, and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> of course, <laughs> you know what what do, what do I know about starting a vineyard? Really, nothing. I worked at one, but I never oversaw putting one in. But fortunately. Um, David had found a guy named Joe Cushman, which you guys have interviewed, and he's a third generation uh, farmer. Um, and uh, we were able to get to work with him and he knew how to put in a vineyard. Um, and I, I just supported him and got him what he needed. And uh, currently today, that is still my role. I, I, I'm more in, a little more involved than that. Um, uh, but the, really, Joe runs the farm. Um, I provide the structure around uh, what he needs, um, and I do a lot of the sales and marketing, and um, so grape sales. Uh, but yeah, that's that's my role. I, I mean, 
really I, what I'm finding is I'm kind of a true generalist. I, I, I like, you know, I maybe would say I know a lot about sales and marketing and then maybe just some of the stuff for the, the rest of the, the rest of it. Right. And I tend to like, I tend to jump to the things I'm interested in. And so with the farm, I tend to jump towards the things that I'm interested in. Right. And, and it may be one day, it may be grape sales and the other day it may be, you know, the, the, the biology of the plants, right? It's just, it's, it's a massive learning curve for me. And I like the interaction with all the wineries too. It's, it's, it, it's a different relationship. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we have this distribution relationship, but now we also have, we're kind of more in their, uh, more in their camp, right? They we're, we're grape growers. And so it's a different conversation. So it's a different uh, experience. And I'm curious about that. I'm curious, but now you have a, you have a product to, to sell to them. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me about finding interested parties and about kind of maintaining a relationship on that level as a supplier of product. Um, that part started with the grape selection. Um, and another part of David's vision was, you know, the Willamette Valley does an amazing job with Pinot Noir, and Chardonnay, Pinot Gris, and Riesling, and these cooler climate varietals and out in the gorge where the dowels are out in the dowels, it's a warm climate. There's not a lot of alternative varietals and really the varietals are driving the demand where you have uh, winemakers that want to make something else other than Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. They want to offer something else to their client base. And that's really driving the demand in that experience. Um, I also think being stewards and being organic and being inclusive and really partnering with people, that is also driving the, the demand uh, where we're an open book. You, know, you come out, tell you exactly what we're doing. We want your feedback. We want to follow you all the way through the winemaking process. Why was the wine good? Why was the wine not good? Maybe this varietal work, maybe it won't work and have that collaborative experience. And people, they gravitate towards that. They feel as if they are part of the part of the vineyard, which they are because we're making decisions based off of what they're telling us. And so they really do have actual input into what we're going to do. And we're also providing a lot of information that, that, that they don't normally get. It's real time weather data. You know, it's real time updates on, on all of the activities at the farm. And so short of being there, that's, we're creating that data for them uh, because driving out to the Dalles is, that's a haul. That's a halt. And so if they can see what's going on, that's that's also driving that that demand. They really appreciate that 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 data. So let's talk about the kind of looking ahead then a little bit for all the for the various parts of your work. Let's start with let's talk about three mile. Let's talk about three mile. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just just a few years of production now. Uh, what are you looking ahead for there in the Dalles and at the vineyard? Mm -hmm. um, and is there is there a thought on more of that kind of thing? And so right now we have 18 varietals and uh, we're focused on understanding which varietals are uh, appropriate for that, for that site. Um, we're pretty focused on that. Uh, we also just acquired an additional 100 acres next door. Um, and we are focused on expanding our, uh, our acreage, plantable acreage. So those are two things that we're very focused on right now at, at Three Mile. Um, you know, in the future, um, it's, it, it's like almost, it's the same, it's the same cycle, which varietals are working and how do we farm each one of those to its potential? Because uh, when you have that much diversity, it's, it's a lot of um, trial and error. What about with Mitchell Wine Group? What's what comes next here? We're still in, we're, we still want to grow, so we can provide better service and coverage. 
We still have gaps in our portfolio that we would like to fill um, that will you know, meet our mission. Um, and just to continue to build out a, a very, very strong team. So you talked about kind of your earlier, the initial, the sort of initial impressions of Oregon wine and, and learning it. Tell me about the changes you've seen in the industry from then to now, and how does industry look to you now as you kind of look at it in 2022? Well, when I first got into the wine industry, if you went into a grocery store, there was maybe 30 or 40 feet of wine, and now there's 100 feet of wine, and every end base has, you know, a 50 case display and a 100 case rounder. So it went from, oh, we we offer this to, bam, it's it's front and center. Um, and then just the growth of the Oregon wine industry in general. I mean, you just drive 99. You know, it was it was it was it was just uh, you know row crop and 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 trees on the hillsides, and now it's 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 vinifera, uh, and uh, the the economy comparatively is is booming. You know, for for a hard to get to place, it's great. Um, the 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 buying and the decision making you know has changed over time um, it's getting to you know before it was more on-site purchasing and now it's getting to be more centralized which is a kind of a natural progression unfortunate but natural uh, that's been a big change what about as you look ahead for Oregon wine what what comes next for the industry I mean from from a distribution perspective, uh, I continue to see Oregon wine grow um, in our backyard and um, and nationally. It, it's a the quality that we're seeing coming out of Oregon is is spectacular. I, it's it to watch over the years and to taste the wines. Not that there weren't great wines before, but they're just keep getting better and better and better. And with the, the investment in all of the wineries in Chardonnay, I just think that there's, we are, we are going to continue to be a destination and, and what the world is gonna be look at for an emerging region. It's a, I, I see a very bright future for, for Oregon wine. Is there anything as you look ahead that concerns you particularly? I mean, consolidation always concerns me uh, because I think that consolidation uh, it it hampers kind of it hampers quality um, and diversity. Uh, that that that's concerning to me. Uh, and again, that's a natural progression, but that doesn't mean that we have to go down that path. And what about looking ahead for yourself and your future? What what comes next for you, either in wine or or, else, or elsewhere? As long as we're sticking to the mission and vision, we're going to keep doing what we're doing today. We're going to keep growing the wine group. Uh, we're going to we're going to create experiences for people, um, and uh, uh, you know, just be the premier wholesaler in the state of Oregon, the Northwest. We'll get there. Ambitions change mid-sentence sometimes. Yes. <laughs> um, last question for you. Uh, you mentioned you took a very interesting route into the industry. Uh, if you were giving someone advice or words of wisdom on joining the Oregon wine industry in some way, what would you tell them? I would say that if you are going to start, a, if you're going to start from scratch and start a winery, learn how to sell the wine first. Um, I would say that that is the, it's a very difficult um, part of the business. Not that the winemaking and operations of, of it are not, um, but really understand your business model going into it and understanding how you're going to sell your wine and how you're going to position your brand. Uh, if you were going to get into distribution, I would say, um, work at a couple of different distributors. If, if you're really interested in, in wholesale, you're gonna to wanna to work for a couple different distributors. Why is that? 
they offer different experiences and uh, different expertise, and it'll tell you what you want to do within within the wholesale wine business. Uh, the wholesale wine business is uh, there's so many different things that you can do in the wine business in wholesale. Right? You can be completely immersed in wine, or you can be completely completely immersed in the business end of it, or the operational, or finance, or human resources, or IT. Uh, it's it's and you still get to be tied to the wine business. You know, I would say work for a few places, even work for a winery. You know, maybe your path, if you're going to work in wine, find your passion within the wine industry. You know, wine doesn't necessarily have to be your passion, but it, what I find it's what keeps people in the business. Whether you're at Southern Wine of Spirits or you're at a winery or you're at Mitchell Wine Group, it's, I find that it's what keeps you in the game. All right, all the questions that I have for you. Uh, anything I didn't ask that I should have? Anything we didn't cover that you'd like to cover? No, thank right. you. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time and hospitality in this yeah, of course. beautiful space. And I'll let you off the hook. Yeah, thank you. thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University. With a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.